Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Hello, it's Hannibal Lecter, and I'm an alien. I'm coming through the satellite. There, there's your intro. Still wearing pants. Sci-fi malady. Symptom 230. Contact. Hello, Ellie. Welcome back, sickies, to Symptom 230. Wow, we've been doing this for 230 episodes. Sheesh, Scott, we need to get a life or something. 230 episodes. I'm going to be honest, I wasn't sure we were going to make it 25 episodes when we started this concept. I completely Uh, agree. Well, listening to the first few, definitely good possibility you didn't make it. But but isn't that true of just about any kind of channel or podcast or whatever that's just getting off the ground? I mean, I mean to be fair, we list we did the first few with a group of four, and then after about the first six episodes, it dropped down to just me and the Rage Master um, deciding in the ten minutes before we turned the mics on what today's topic was going to be. Oh, that's not true. I decided on the drive over to your house. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, the drive over to the <laughs> I house. Was, I was that organized. Then we, brought, yeah. then we brought Corey back. Then we brought Corey and Thomas on. And then Corey kind of after Back to the Future week had to, took his he hiatus. To where, yeah, things were going on in his personal life. And uh, yeah, then it became the format that we got to. But it, it almost and... didn't make it. If uh, Rage and I weren't so stubborn, to just keep coming up with ideas once a week on the fly. Maybe it wouldn't have. That's true. And I'm glad we somehow stuck with it despite ourselves. And have brought ourselves all the way to First Contact February with the first film Contact. Now, before we jump in, Sicky, some of you might have noticed that Stargate was a bit short last week. Um, I think <laughs> Ruck explained everything that happened. And um, sorry, but... I guess um, the only thing that we'd say is that uh, the two points I would make is that I would love to blame that film for Ancient Aliens, but I can't. They just (laughs) took a dumb idea and ran with it. And uh, Thomas gave the recommendation that you do not do it his way, that being watch the show and then the film, because that's how he did it, and it was a bit jarring because... Yeah hour and a half versus like i don't even know how many hours uh, oh well <laughs> 10 year season 10 year show i mean come on or more yeah you have to ask is it some type of of stargate or transporter beam or or is it the and, borg and that's what we missed about you last week scott we needed the children's guy i, uh, I am gonna say i can't do it th- this is my summation of of stargate okay it'll be brief I was disappointed because I've always heard about Stargate and I had never watched it and I was disappointed. Thought it would be better. But <clears throat> comes down to this. Stargate. Egyptian gods versus Snake Plissken. Egyptian gods never had a chance. <laughs> Snake Plissken, who is also suicidal, which means he just doesn't care and he has an atom bomb. So... Call me Snake. <laughs> He should have just used the EMP from Escape from L.A., I guess. But 
Oh, well. So, but today we're taking a bit more of a, honestly, the final two episodes of this month are going to be a lot more heady. Uh, I would argue that this one is going to be far more so than next week. But today we are doing the 1997 film Contact starring uh, Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Can't do that voice because I don't think I did enough drugs in my previous life. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so this film really, uh, wow, there's a lot of sci-fi talk in this film. So I think I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of discussion here. So I'm going to blitz through the plot and the fun facts in the usual fashion, which is to say not blitz at all. Ooh, ooh, here's my one quick fun fact. Okay. Kids, you might not know this. You might not know this, kids. But before he was a spokesman for Lincoln, Matthew McConaughey was an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, wait, wait. Now, Matthew McConaughey did kind of start his sci-fi career with this film, I believe, because he did wind up in Interstellar, which is... Another very good sci-fi film. It's just gotten but. to the point now, though, where I know him more as the guy who does those um, arrogant Lincoln, Lincoln commercials. <laughs> well, if you're like me, you remember him as the guy from uh, Dazed and Confused going, all right, all right, all right. That's what I like about these high school chicks. I get older, they stay the same age, which <laughs> is a line that has not aged well at all. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. Whoa, you're. Oh, that does not. Yeah, age. that really doesn't well, age well. Really, when you think about it, it should never have aged well. It should have been a, a line that everybody heard and went, "Wait, what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Back that up. You, you're <laughs> asking the time. A, it was like what? Uh, you who are probably what twenty one, twenty two. You're asking about a fifteen year old girl. There's something fundamentally wrong with that, even in 1990, whenever that movie was made. Even in 1970-something, that would have been a wrong idea. But Matthew McConaughey, you'll never live that down. In my mm. mind. Clearly you have, but until until someone in the Twitterverse digs it up. But anyway, that's another matter. So Hey, hey, hey. It's not your soup, soapbox section yet. This is true. This is true. Rage Master Soapbox. <laughs> not there yet. So... Uh, a couple of fun facts before we get to the plot. Uh, author Carl Sagan died during the production, and he was apparently their science advisor, and he was supposed to be in the film as the panel deciding who goes into the device. So, but he died, so say la vie. Uh, speaking of the device, I, we made a reference in Arrival that this Arrival referenced the film Contact. This was it that the aliens were giving us a piece of technology to build. And that was the same thing that was happening in Arrival. So there was a bit of a nod there. Yeah, I actually got confused Um, this week. And I'm like, wait, didn't we do contact to start the month? It's true. It's true. Scott actually said, didn't we do contact? I was like, no, we did Stargate last week. And then he just went, oh, right. No, we did Arrival. Yeah, exactly. It was the same concept, but a little different. Um, just weirder for sure for sure Uh, in this scene in the film there's 
where there was a one insurance company that said UFO abduction insurance and a bunch of other people with wacko alien signs and all. Those are real people. Those are real alien enthusiasts. And the insurance company is a real company that did that for a gimmick in a commercial. And the film just Robert Zemeckis just asked them to make a banner and bring it onto the film's location. Um, so I wonder how the the payouts work on that one. (laughs) I wonder if they actually got people to call in and ask about that. Like, I'd like the UFO abduction insurance. Um, that was just a commercial. You know what? Let's, let's, let's make this. (laughs) This will be the easiest. This will be the easiest amount of money we've ever made. (laughs) Hey, uh, they want UFO abduction insurance. We're never going to have to pay the claim because you're never going to be able to prove it. Let's just do this. <laughs> exactly. So um, the SETI film that starts off was in Puerto Rico, was actually filmed there, the SETI satellites. And then they, of course, go to uh, California. Those are the real locations that you see in the film. Um, in fact, speaking of how reality kind of got merged into this uh anybody who has has seen it or will see it will no doubt notice that there's a bunch of clinton speeches this seem almost like wow that looks really great the computer imaging on that looks great that they got him to say those things well that's because they didn't have to do computers he really did say those things uh in august 96 clinton gave his mars rock speech and zemeckis who made the film explained i swear to god it was like it was scripted for this movie when he said the line we will continue to listen to closely to what it has to say i almost died i stood there with my mouth hanging open so in I simplest mean, terms he was possibly going to have to deep fake before deep fakes were a thing and then he just got it didn't have to clinton just did it for him so lucky him because because i was wondering that too exactly i was like man that is one great deep fake and then i found out that's not a deep fake he just okay and then the, the really second lucky. speech was what after uh saddam hussein uh maybe i think it was <laughs> i think it was uh something about not escalating the situation any further and it was it was something it was a military de-escalation towards the end and i also know oh. that uh the White House sent a message to Zemeckis, I think, saying you shouldn't have done this and it's not okay. Uh, well, actually, the, the appearance was taken from an actual press conference in 97 about the real-life discovery of Antarctic meteorite that turned out to be from Mars. Okay. Um, so it, it wasn't about that. It was about that, the discovery of that. Um couple more little things i guess uh so i'll I'll, three more things uh one the ring machine that was originally supposed to be in terminator 2 oh i could see that That was i i believe that was supposed to be the time travel machine um and speaking of the time travel machine, Robert Zemeckis has jodie foster to repeat that scene six times with different emotions to see which one fit the most okay um worked out pretty well uh in real life jodie foster is an atheist or agnostic and matthew mcconaughey is a christian so it wasn't hard for them to adopt those roles 
And finally, let's go with the interesting one. The dynamics officer that keeps getting addressed as Jerry, it turns out, is actually a real Jerry. His name's Jerry Griffin. And in real life, he was a flight director at Mission Control in Houston during the Apollo program. So here's a guy that knows how to say his lines, you know, in a manner that befits NASA. It's actually really a testament to this film that they went to that kind of detail. You know, uh, getting good science advisors, getting people from NASA, getting real clips that, OK, that was an accident, but they were able to use it thusly. And that that works great. I mean, yeah, um, Sagan was also a co-writer of this. They started writing he, in 1979. 79. Yeah. And it was just on hiatus forever. Yeah, except for the, that. And eh, that's something I'll talk about when we have some picks. Okay. All right. I'll look forward to that. Um, <clears throat> this movie is really long, so I'm just going to put the plot this way. Uh, a SETI satellite finally gets a communication from space that's designed on prime numbers. And Dr. Ellie Hathaway, not Hathaway. Um, Arroway. Arroway. She cracks the code, figures it out, and it turns out to be instructions to build this device and so what she winds up doing is um all these nations come together to build the said device and they start finding out well who can who's going to be the person that goes in the chair that gets dropped through the device to travel and meet these aliens and it's a uh, various scientists from around the world and people of faith because robert zemeckis was very much making a statement about faith in this movie and she doesn't get the job the first time. But then because of a religious zealot who felt this was uh, against God's will, he blows up the first device. But then luckily, the future Jeff Bezos stand-in, literally, uh, who is dying of cancer and living in space, has built another one in Hokkaido, Japan. And they put Elliot through it. And it turns out she meets these aliens who just tell her, oh, we're just passing on this knowledge. And then she gets brought back to Earth and gets put through the, the ringer. And you find out that she was gone from Earth for 18 hours, except it didn't look that way. What happened was the pod dropped through a displacement field of some kind. According to everyone on Earth, she just went right through. But according to her camera, onboard camera, she was gone for 18 hours. It just recorded static. And the movie kind of ended there. I did very little justice in the plot because it's a two and a half hour movie, but we're going to dissect this thing. So let's go into some concepts here. Um, and I'll start with the first one I just mentioned because it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, a rip of mine. And I'm going to front load here just because the rip is part of the concept. And that is Robert Zemeckis was clearly making a statement about faith. And he was almost giving Jody, uh, Dr. Ellie Hath, um, Arroway a position where she had to be almost hypocritical because she didn't have faith to believe in God, but she had to have faith that this device was actually from a, of alien origin and was going to work. So it was almost like saying everybody has faith. It's just what do you put your faith in? And 
we also see faith at its worst with the zealots played by Gary Busey's kid who turned out to be that pastor that wants to blow this thing up to save us all from God or whatever. And, and as a Christian, I'll say, I see that a lot, not people who are trying to blow up alien devices, but we've all heard about the people throwing pipe bombs at abortion clinics or people who, uh, form Christian cults that, they're going to usher in the end of the earth, end of the world and God's theocratic kingdom or some other horrible thing. And that would happen if we did get messages from space. It, there would be Christians who or possibly even Muslims, but just people of religion who would try to destroy it. And it goes back to what I said about the flat earthers is that it's the fear of finding out that you might be wrong or even if you're not wrong about God existing, you're not completely right. And that is a kind of fear that you just cannot stomach. So it's easier to live in that hatred. And, and we see that getting to my rip where Matthew McConaughey's character, he, um, they're in the panel they're voting for, they're trying to figure out, okay, who is the last, you know, the, the previous guy who was supposed to go through the, is dead. Dr. Arroway is going to, is getting interviewed for the job. And actually, no, excuse me. It was prior to, it was the first one, the first device before blowing up. Dr. Arroway is getting interviewed to see if she could be the one that goes in the device everything's clicking. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, you're qualified. You're the one that translated this. You know what you're doing. Everything's cool. 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 Then Matthew McConaughey's character who's in love with her and doesn't want her to go because he's afraid she'll come back when he's 80 years old and she'll be two days old, older, you know, than she is now time displacement. Uh, he asks her the question, do you believe in God? And somehow that's the one that derails everything. That's the one that causes her to not get the job. Look, I get it. It's the 90s, and Robert Zemeckis wanted to make an anti-religious statement or some statement about religious zealotry. But that wouldn't happen. I don't buy it for a second. You don't judge her on her science credentials and say, well, here's the woman that deciphered the whole thing and knows everything, and she's got it all. But she doesn't believe in God. I mean, who's funding this project? The Mormon Church? Because if that had been the case, then yeah, I could see that happening. But um, no, especially the way it comes out of left field. Everybody's about to vote unanimously. Yep, she's getting it. And here comes, all right, all right, all right. You don't believe in God. And everyone's just like, but Pastor So-and-so over here, he's got a point and he wrote a book. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up early because I think it's the central point of this film. I think it has nothing to do with, honestly, with aliens. I think the central point of this film is the never-ending battle between faith and reason. And Big, big part of this movie. Big part. Yep. Uh, I will say that um, the first thing I, I thought was that when Ellie says, I don't understand the validity of the question, and and I think she's exactly right. This isn't Star Trek and Bajor where everyone believes in the prophet and there's a global religion and there's the prophets. Which god? 
Because he says, I can't in good conscience send someone up there to represent all of us who doesn't believe in God. Yeah, well, but is that person God, representing it, the atheists? Is that person representing the humanists? Is that person representing the Hindus? Is that person representing uh, exactly. the Buddhists? Is that person representing uh, Islam and well, Allah and, and his prophet is Muhammad? Is it representing the Christian God? Is it representing the Jewish God? Is it representing the Zoroastrian version and, of God? You can't and, in earth send someone up where their religious views represent all of us because they believe in a God. So you want to send someone who represents the Gnostics? Exactly. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that, Scott, because as a Christian, I'm thinking, which God, too? Are we talking about the ones from Jehovah's Witness believe who don't think Jesus is God or the Mormons who believe in uh, kind of a couple of gods? I mean, what are we talking about here? The Catholic version of God or the Protestant version you, you of have, God? You have this multinational group panel of people and not one of them spoke up and went, uh, I don't believe in God, or I'm a bit agnostic, or, or the oh, Hindu. Yeah. There, there was an Indian woman on there who could have spoken up and said, uh, I believe in God, and then 30 million, 30 million other lesser gods. She's not representing me, and neither are you. Is she going well, yeah. to represent our belief in Shiva the Destroyer, and is it Bishnu the Sustainer, and what, you know, I mean? Yeah, well, well, that's very clearly, again, because this was very much a message that he was trying to focus on. So this inconvenient part, again, which we just talked about is that's stupid. That makes absolutely no sense. No, because it would not have landed. I would have rather, I would have rather that Ellie looked at him when he said that and, and actually came straight out with what the counter argument should be in all of this. You get, you get religious, anyone who is religious, for the most part, will look at you at some point and say, in religion, it's about faith. I believe without seeing proof, and I have faith, and I don't need it proven to me. And then they look at a scientist and they say, what do you believe? Do you believe in science? And that's the wrong question. Scientists don't believe in something. They know. They prove it empirically. It's proven. They can recreate it. They can test it. They can quantify it. And ultimately, if you're asking a scientist what they believe in, that's the wrong question. The same way if you're asking a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu to prove their belief in the religion, you're asking a wrong question. You're fundamentally not understanding the conversation. And you're having conversations that are at odds. And you're, this you're one, talking past each other I, instead of yep. to each other. At that point. Yeah, I think, no, I think you can ask what do you believe or have faith in, but you have to be open to the fact that, look, the way they're going to use that is fundamentally different from you. They're going to believe, you know, when you make a, a hypothesis or a theory and you set out to prove it, you're going on faith or belief that this is the possibility. But if you're truly following the scientific principle, you also keep the mind open that, well, I could be dead wrong. And you don't accept it as true or fact until you've proven it. Right. Well, you, you could accept it as even a theory can be considered true. I mean, cell theory is that every living thing has a cell. The problem, it's a theory because viruses exhibit uh, a, a good amount of what we would call the characteristics of life, but it's not, it doesn't have cells. This is a strand of DNA wrapped in a protein. So, um, well, a better one would also be uh, more grand theories like quantum 
mechanic theories and right gravitational and Einstein's theory of relativities and it, it it's because we have enough empirical evidence to state that these seem to be true, but we can't go past that because we can't it's prove it yet. Right, you can't hundred percent empirically. Right, 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 and we, that's that's everything lines up. But you got that one. We can't see this, or we can't see that. So there's right. a possibility that it might be wrong. And if you're so asking a is... scientist to act on faith, that's that's fundamentally Fine. potentially at odds with the discipline. I don't want scientists acting on faith because it's but... it's it's anti-scientific. Just like I don't want a preacher. Or a pastor preaching only what he can prove from the Bible or trying to prove the Bible. Because if you're trying to prove the Bible, you're going about it wrong, too. Right. Well, no, no, no. I'm going to go back and say a scientist could have faith or belief. But again, it's going to be fundamentally different than a Christian's belief in God. Because a Christian's faith in God, ideally, the way it should be, should be unwavering. Whereas the scientist is always open to that possibility of, well, I could be dead wrong and I have to re- upend everything I've just believed in because the facts say otherwise. And that's a very fun to, because if you don't have any kind of faith or belief, you wouldn't be pursuing a hypothesis anyway. But the, again, the difference is you're willing to shift that goalpost. Well, again, it's a different type of faith and a different exactly. type of belief. Yeah, I'm, so not sure, exactly. I'm not sure making a hypothesis rises to the level of faith. It's the available information it's belief, I have. at the very least. Yeah, belief it's and belief faith are very, very different things, because... though. You believe, you may uh, believe I... that the evidence is suggesting that, that uh, you know, uh, you'll, you'll see certain things and you'll say, we believe that the evidence is you... suggesting Einstein's theory of relativity can be proven, you know, what? you know, and the math suggests this should exist or this should happen, you know, but you don't have faith blindly. Hey, the engineer the result no, that is to be predicted, but faith doesn't, but faith doesn't always imply blindly. That's why we have the term blind faith, because the, the astronauts that strap themselves to rockets and the engineers that design them have faith that it's going to work. I don't, okay. I, I, I don't and, think that's the right thing. I think they're saying that, that we, We've tested it. We put it through simulations. And I they think it's still a have faith thing. that it's going to work for the faith. same reason that when you sit in a chair, you have faith that it's not going to f- collapse because it has the same structure as every other chair, I feel like even faith though the is, chair could fall. I feel like faith is, is having a confidence in something without knowing why or without knowing how it works and just, you know, I have faith. And that's... That the, and, 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 but I feel like... When I sit in a chair and know it's going to work, it's not because I don't understand why it's going to work. See, to me, faith implies having confidence without knowing why you should or without having it proven that it will work. I've sat in a chair a million times. I know right. that it's going to work. And no faith about it. These astronauts, these astronauts are going to sit in that rocket and strap themselves in because they know it's been tested. They know it's been simulated. They know it's been done a hundred times and it's gone through checks and it's gone through safety procedures I, and I'm not well, doing this to to reduce faith I think faith is the tougher thing to have I think it's very well, it's a lot easier to believe in reason than it is to believe it it takes a lot more courage to act well, on faith beyond concept just looking at the dictionary definition it's a trust or confidence in someone or something and belief is a synonym 
And I know that's just linguistic. We're going beyond that right now. But I'm putting that there. I'm looking at it more in the linguistic sense. Okay. And you're looking at it more in the um, act. I, I guess I, you I would say religion. Yeah, act. That's yeah. a good way to I put it. I think the methodology is it. not so much reconcilable. It, yeah, I just think that it's a fact of, as she said, it's not a valid question because although, um, well, for one, belief in God is not necessary to do the job she had to do. Um, and also, as you pointed out, Scott, which God are we talking about? Is, are you, does, does belief in God make you representative of everybody? No, not by a long shot. Um, but also it's that, well, she's a scientist. And when you ask her if she has faith or belief, that's an entirely different meaning compared to you, Pastor McConaughey. So, um, and this, I think, as, as we're talking about faith, you're right. I would say the contact is just as much a statement about faith as anything else, because, well, like I said, it's the same thing I said with the flat earthers. The reason that no amount of fact or evidence will change their mind is because, dear God, I don't want to be wrong because the alternative is either I get made fun of or I'm an ordinary schlub now. I'm not part of my social clique. And in the case of these extreme zealots, it's either A, there is no God, which even terrifies me a little bit. Not that I believe it, but, you know, the thought would terrify me. Or worse for them, okay, there is a God possibly, but it's not, you know, going out the way you think. And that robs either case, they lose thunder. I have, you know, they lose authority. They lose authority for the same reason, for the same reason that Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he was, what he was teaching was robbing them of authority. Well, I, again, I think the, Faith has adapted through time. Throughout, sure. it, we cannot say that the faith is the same as it was in the past because it's yeah, not. That's probably true. It's probably true. It, things have changed. Things have adapted. I mean, we have figured out certain things like, hey, you know, the Earth isn't the center of the universe. Things like that. Mm, yeah, and we've we've developed a certain degree of this, you know, enlightenment and scientific revolution did do. Correct. Um, faith is change things. Faith has adapted. It has changed. Now, it has changed many times slowly, and it's also changed sometimes very violently. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, yeah, for sure. So. Absolutely, there would be quite a bit of uproar over something like this. Oh, without a doubt. Now, could faith adapt somehow? Well, I would say pretty easily because, I mean, there are quite a few uh, faiths out there that preach on other beings. Oh, if, if God exists, he could have totally created other beings on other planets. And maybe not giving sure. them souls or something. It's very possible. He didn't create them in his image, maybe. It's possible. So there's so many possibilities out there. Um, what does God mean by his image? Correct. So again, there is such an interesting concept there. And it's something that would challenge, but not destroy. Um, it would probably cause quite a bit of questioning which 
let's be honest, isn't a bad thing. Um, that, now, you mentioned earlier faith and it, we, believing is without question. I, I think questioning faith is not a bad thing. Questioning it and reaffirming it. Um, thinking, is this true? Questioning it in that way, studying it, and coming to the realization, yes, I believe it's true. Yeah, I think I, I think the New Testament kind of shows you Jesus' belief on that when he tells Thomas, you have seen and you have believed, blessed are you, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I come back to that where I say, what well, Jesus, when he, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to move. None of us will ever have that because none of us will ever be able to shut off entirely that reasoning side of our brain that tells us that we can't tell that mountain to move and make mm-hmm. it move. Um, but it well, always, and is that... it always amazes uh, me how when religion and science clash and, and bat heads like this, starting with Galileo, that you see a lot of what happened in this movie where people don't want to believe there's aliens because it conflicts with religion. And mm-hmm. now it's a question I would ask you guys because I am, I am a man of faith. I am a Christian, um, born and raised in the Baptist church, okay? But I probably don't have as strong of a, on the faith-reason divide, the, the faith that the two of you do. I tend to be bogged down in reason more. But I've always asked a very simple question. Why sometimes you get the hardliners who you either believe in God or you believe in the theory of evolution or you believe in God or you believe in the Big Bang. And I've always wondered why there isn't an ability to adapt to that to say when God was first communicating to Abraham or to Moses, if he was going to explain, even if he went and explained everything about the Big Bang, would Moses have remembered it all, or yeah. would he have just wrote down, yeah. God said, let there be light? You know, Scott, Why I've can't talked they be about reconciled? this. I've talked about this at length. So this is where, if you wanted to call this radius on a soapbox, here it is. And now it's time for Rage Master's Soapbox. Um, couple of couple of things. One, I the one of the smartest things I've ever heard discussed about the Bible is the youth pastor of my church who said the Bible is not a book of science. Now I don't know if he knew it precisely the way I, but it was one of the smartest things I've ever heard because it's not. And I I have posited in different teachings that whenever we try to use the Bible in a scientific sense, we are denuding both science and God. Because God is supernatural. What does supernatural mean? Beyond the 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 law of nature, beyond the limits of existence. When you try to use scientific measurements, you're basically saying, I can measure and control God. Okay? God, when uh, taking a loaf of bread and feeding 5,000 people is not possible. Um, parting a sea in half is not possible. Raining down hailstones of fire is not possible. Resurrecting people from the dead is not 
possible. That's the point. God shows his creation, his mastery over creation by defying the impossible. So when we try to use scientific means to justify God, we're basically telling God, I can observe you and control you the way I want using my limited means. It's, it's just not possible. I think that's so, a brilliant analogy, honestly. That's, that's not possible to measure God. No. And, whenever, I, and we hear that a lot with a guy like Ken Ham. And here's where I'm really going to get on my soapbox because I do not care for Ken Ham. And here's why. As a guy, he might be fine, but let me put it this way. I do not care for his creation theory because it's made up. Why? And it go, cuts to your point, Scott. Why can't you reconcile? Part of it is branding. You know, when evolution tells you, well, it's all just a big accident. That basically takes God out of the equation. Um, so one is branding. Two is the idea, excuse me, uh, anyway, two is the idea of literal interpretation. We have to take the Bible exactly, precisely, literally, or it's not true, which is not true in and of itself, because you know, I was just reading the book of Hebrews, where it talks about how Christ rolls out creation like a robe, so he literally rolls the earth up like a robe. I guess it is flat, huh? Or where we take people think that the Bible teaches uh, flat earth because it says the four corners of the earth. Yeah, if you're taking exactly literally, I guess it would mean that, wouldn't it? How about just translation errors? Well, translation, well, it's translation-wise, it's it's actually fairly accurate. Given fairly, the but, in, of trans- but in, in some tra- cases... Given, given the transcribing, but I don't, you don't even need to go there. Yeah. And, and again, here's why. Because metaphor. The Psalms are by themselves poetry. So when it says that God does X, Y, Z, it doesn't mean he literally does it that way. The person is giving metaphor, okay? So, going back to Genesis, if you take as a 24 literal hours, evolution cannot exist with that. However, that's open to debate because the word yom could mean a period of time. And as you said, Scott, when God was sitting down with Moses or Adam and Eve, whatever the case, explaining how he created everything, he couldn't say, well, you see what happened was I took these four different complementary base pairs in DNA and put it in there. Huh. You know, let's go back to the molecular method. (laughs) And then when he had to, you know, let's just say (coughs) that God, that God really did take six 24-hour days, but God exists out of time, so that's even difficult to do. But let's just say God used six 24-hour days. Well, there is that thing called redshift and time dilation, where maybe at the origin point it was six 24-hour days, but as everything expanded, it became 13 billion years. Right. See, this is what I'm getting at. Why is it so hard? Now, so why is it so hard? Because people believe that unless you believe everything literally as it happened, and by the way, I do believe the Bible in a lot of literal ways. But I also recognize that there are moments of metaphor. For example, 
when Job makes the comparison saying God is better than Leviathan, unlike Ken Ham, who thinks that was proof of dinosaurs, I think, or maybe he's just trying to use metaphor to say, okay, think of the giant monster we think exists. Yeah, God's better than that. Right. But it's think of that like giant a elephant. In, is your faith so fragile that you can't retain your faith if, if exactly. new information is added? And can so can where, I, where, uh, yeah yeah just let me land this plane and then I'll get out of the way. <clears throat> so here's where I fall. Could God have used six 24-hour literal days and done it exactly that way? Well, yeah, he's God. Of course he could have. Do I believe he did? No. However, should I ever find out that I am wrong, my answer is going to be oh, okay. And that's it. Plus, as far as evolution, the other problem concerning is that God, it said God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into him. It didn't talk about any intermediary steps. Yep. So that that's the big, that's the bigger there. Um, uh, well, but I mean, unlike Yom, which could be interpreted, there's no words or anything that could go, well, maybe that was a step. No, it made it like Adam and Eve were made ex nihilo. So that's where it gets a little confusing and different too. But again, in terms of how old is the earth and all, you know, I certainly don't believe it's 6,000 years. I think that's ridiculous. But should somehow I find out that's true, I'm just going to, you know, God in heaven tells me it's true. I'm just going to shrug and say, oh, okay. Because going back again, going back again, God is supernatural and defies what we understand as right. Yeah, I think God would probably ask possible. us, why are you so concerned if this is how I created the universe? Well, not, exactly. It comes, down, other it comes down to the old watchmaker thing. Uh, we can talk about, the, I know, we could talk about the watchmaker. The watch didn't just will itself into existence. And I would say you're correct. But why are we getting so upset about how long it took the watchmaker to make it? So, okay, Thomas, go ahead. Okay, it comes down and to two simple facts. A, trying to measure God. Trying and. to, well, I'm getting to that, thank you. Um, yeah, get, let, let me sit on a soapbox for five seconds. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, you wanted to give me this segment, but now it's your turn. <laughs> you, it comes down to trying to measure God and, and trying to, Put him in a box, basically, which, again, you can't do. But the bigger thing being, he's outside of time. He's outside of space. He is not confined by any rules, by anything, because he made the rules. He doesn't have to abide by the rules. So because of that simple fact, he can do whatever he wants, and we are abiding inside the universe see everything through the rules he's set up. Now, you can see his fingerprints, you can see the aspects through science and through seeing the... This is why I don't think science conflicts with Christianity. You can use science and see the complexity of the cell, or see the complexity of DNA. You can see how perfectly balanced some of these systems are to the point that pure happenstance of these things happening 
is so astonishingly minute. It seems infeasible. Correct. The possibility of DNA ever coming about by itself or a single cell organism coming about by itself is so astonishingly small that it is almost impossible to fathom. So I don't think science is such a battle with Christianity. I think that is a modern concept. I think Christianity and science for the longest time worked together to advance the Western world. I mean, very much so. You had trying to see God's handiwork is what drove science, trying to understand what he did. So I don't think that they are at odds. I think when you're trying to measure God, though, that's when you come at odds. When you try to do something that you go, this is where he is, this is where I can... It's like, no, God's not here because he's not bound by any of your rules that you must abide by. So it's very complex. And I think to your question, I don't think it it has to be at odds. They can absolutely coexist. It's where you place your emphasis and what you have both doing for you if you try what if you try to make science a religion and religion a science that's when you come into conflict and that's when you begin to have problems if you let them be what they are and let them complement each other it's fine well and it also depends that you know you say for the longest time they worked in tandem and you're right thomas they did I think the splits started happening when um, men of faith, and it was men primarily, um, started to fall in love with their own theories and not enough with observation. And this goes back to time. You know, this is turning into theology malady. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I took us down a this big goes, rabbit hole. This goes down to this goes down to even the time of Jesus, who was trying to tell the Pharisees, "You guys are too addicted to your own law that you can't even see this. You can't even see what Scripture means anymore because you're too addicted to your own system and law." And that's what happened with science and the church was that, you know, just you know, Scott, you mentioned Gal, uh, Galileo, where the church said, "Nope, Earth is the center of the Earth," and they had every reason to believe it at their time, but someone else came out and said, "Well, I've been observing that it isn't." And they could not fathom the idea that they were wrong, even on this. Because it's not like Galileo was saying there is no God. Yeah. But they put themselves in a position because they put themselves in the position of being the arbiter of truth. And if they are wrong, then... All of a sudden, because when they put themselves in, well, we are the representative of God. And when we speak, God speaks. And if you pull that out and say, well, they made a mistake or, and God doesn't make mistakes. So therefore, they, were they the are final, not the voice of God. The they church was the final in, arbiter of, of the interpretation of reality. And here comes exactly. a different branch and, of thought that says you don't need exactly. to go to your priest to be told what they, reality is. And, and they this put is, themselves in a bad yep. position, which and, caused the break. And I agree with you. And this is why I say you don't let 
the two, you can let the fields work together. But as soon as you start letting either religion dictate what is and isn't science and what you can and can't see, and when you suddenly have science say what is and not, isn't real in religion, or you let religion melt into science or vice, you know, vice versa, that's when you start having your problems. If you and, let and the two right. stay separate and have their fields, yes, they can overlap. They can complement each other. They can sometimes butt heads, but that doesn't mean one is wrong and the other is right. And that, they and that's they can right. both be right. You, you just and, might have to work your way through it. Science and that's is where I, you a window into God's design, but it doesn't and that's mean where doesn't I, prove or disprove him. And that's where, you know, Thomas mentioned the complexity, and he's right. Um, and that's where I get my bones about creation theory, because, as Thomas, you're pointing out, you're trying to use the Bible to be science when it's not a book of science. So what you're forced to do, essentially, make stuff up. That's what they, that you make stuff up. And it's like, but that's not even in the Bible, and it's not even observable. Nope. You're just making stuff up. And, but at the, the other hand, it's like, you know, there's a lot of other complexity you could be looking at, but instead you've chosen to blow that off because Nephilim skulls. You know, I, uh, yeah, where are they? Why aren't they there? But, you know, I, so, I took us down a massive um, rabbit hole, and I'm you sorry did, I didn't I think expect it. But I've, no, no, I no, had no, one is... follow-up question to this, though, and, and I hope this doesn't go another 30 minutes. You but, then don't ask it. No, no, no I think no, I need no, to. No. Rage, you no. asked, you, you said Zemeckis was making a commentary on religion. Did, do you think he's making a commentary for or against religion in this movie? You know, it, it seems like against, but I'm not, I'm not going to say 100% on that. I would say it was against. It was very I'd say it was real. against because the guy, you know, blowing it up, but at the same time, the Pastor McConaughey... <laughs> clearly um, found a way to work with Dr. Arroway and work it out. And so I think he was almost trying to show like the two, two sides of faith. Yep. And I think I'll try to, yep. I'll try to make it real, real short and an economy of words here, which I've already failed at. Um, I think that Zemeckis is coming down on the side of religion. And he's trying to show you how religion and science can coexist because ultimately um, Dr. Arroway has a moment where she says, I can't retract this statement. I can't agree with you because I know what I experienced and I can't prove Mm -hmm. it to you. I can't qualify it. I can't use the scientific method, but I believe it because I know what happened and I have faith without the confidence in what happened to me without the ability to prove it. And then that just adds that line at the end. 18 hours of static. And yep. it's almost and like you come back to... I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off. I'll just finish it up with this. No, no. Go on. Every scientist will get back to the point of the prime mover. The thing that moved without something else making it to move. And that's as close as science will ever get to telling you at the end there's got to be a God that exists outside of all of this and is capable of acting on his or her own. And... um. I think that's what that's what Zemeckis is trying to get to at the end there. Science can take you a hell of a long way, but even when we get to things that we're pretty sure of, you almost have to take that last step 
And this is weird considering what I spent the first half of this episode talking about. You almost have to take the last step on faith. Because you can't yeah. ever prove it 100%. Well, and that was the irony I was throwing out there with, with Dr. Oway, that in the end she did have to use faith. But um, she's not a woman of faith. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a big, 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 big theme that was part of this film. Um, well, I mean, I this think, film did ask this question, basically. So, oh, I mean, of it, course, it, it was, was a rabbit hole. But was it, though? It was a well, it was a necessary. It's one. It's the meat and potatoes so, of the movie. Exactly. But yeah. there's another before we get into rips and picks, there's one other interesting point I want to bring up that shouldn't take too long. Um. Famous last the words. Effect? Yeah, right. <laughs> so we have had a number of episodes uh, how sci-fi is like prophecy um, from Contagion, Symptom 186, to Symptom 202, Gattaca. Uh, and then I think we did early, early on just a flat-out uh, show about how other times just a sprinkling of when sci-fi is prophetic. And once again, this film does it. I mean, and I'm thinking particularly of the Jeff Bezos prophecy that, yep, there's some millionaire billionaire out there who funds this space exploration. And, oh, my God, it's actually a bald old white guy who bought a bunch of companies and launched himself into space. I don't mean to get conspiracy theory on here, but I'm going to do it just for fun. I'm going to get my Childress out here, or Giorgio Sucleos, and suggests that there is some alien from the future, or who's, or who's maybe just, you know, because of time dilation, sees what's going to happen. I don't know. But they see what's going to happen, and they are making films and TV shows as a warning to us. I was just right before this evening. I was watching the old. Remember that show, Dinosaurs? Yes. Not the remember mama. that show, Dinosaurs? Yeah, 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 that one. I was just watching an episode where times, economic times were tough, and um, a lot of people, dinosaur guys, were losing their jobs. And so the We Say So Corporation and the government, in their economic finger pointing book, because solutions are hard blamed the four-legged people who came across the swamp and is taking up all their resources, and they proposed building a wall to stop the four-leggers from coming over, and the wall was supposed to float on water. And when the wall falls apart, the four-leggers save all the dinosaurs working on the wall, and everybody changes their mind. But when I saw that, all I could think of was, oh my god, did, did some alien foresee this? It's not like I'm not trying to say a political statement, yay or nay, one side or the other. I'm just saying, oh my God. Or, oh my God. Or more plausible, and just let's use Occam's razor here. Go for it. How about there is obvious foreshadowing in the actual economics and history of it that you can look towards saying yeah probably yes. that's the that's the most yeah. likely answer yeah. no <laughs> you have to ask with the simpsons the getting so many things with, right with a corporation Thomas for the power, reason when 
Tom is for the reason when. With corporations growing more and more powerful and getting more and more wealthy, do you think one of them will actually get enough money to – Of course. It was just the fact that it was a bald guy in space with his buddies. Yeah, and except then you this look bald at, guy was also sick, so... Yeah, I know, but, well, wait, I mean, that, you know... Could be someday. Bezos gets the, could be. And I'm just looking at it going, well, I'm remembering when Jeff Bezos launched his penis rocket with all his friends, and no, it was a penis rocket, okay? It was. You're not allowed to make that, and then go, well, it was the most great design for what we wanted to do. No, Jeff, you know darn well what you were doing. Don't act like otherwise. You were inserting yourself into space. Just get over it. Okay. We all know, you know, <laughs> stop acting otherwise. Be an adult and just own up to it. This is your childish boyhood fantasy. Dick. Yeah. Take a look out of starboard. Oh my God. It looks like a huge. Pecker. Oh, where? Wait. That's not a word. Pecker. It looks like someone's. Privates. We have reports of an unidentified flying object. Um. So. Uh, the point is, it was just something that kept making me think, oh, my God, it's Jeff Bezos, and this is what he's going to do. You know, you're never going to tell me that Hollywood doesn't have information from the future. They get it right too often. Look at how many times The Simpsons got it right. Look at what Star Trek predicted. Forget about everything they got wrong. You're never going to, I don't care what you say, you're <laughs> never going to convince me that they don't have some connection into the future and an ability to channel future events. And they're trying to warn us in whatever way they can. But it's not really us. They're just tipping themselves off. We know how to interpret it so they can make money off of it. That's how the or Illuminati that- keeps us down. Oh my God, what's that dot in my head? Or there's that silly idea Tom has brought up that, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I guess that reasonable explanation could work. Nope. <laughs> anyway. Oh, anyway. Let's kill reason so, with the shovel and keep hitting it until we're sure it's dead. Make yeah. it my, make it, kill it. So, well, guys, I, I just want to let you know, I now sell tinfoil hats, which will block the, their brainwaves at a very low price just for you guys. Put Excellent. me down for two, and do you make them in a size fit for a baby? Because I'll need to get one for my daughter when she's born so they can't corrupt her from you know, as the soon start. As, as, soon, as soon as she pops absolutely. out of the womb, she, her head needs to fall right into that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to make sure the doctor size. has it on standby. I've given them instructions. Excellent. So that will cost you extra, just to let you know. That's fine. It's worth <laughs> All it. All right. Protect her that, from 5G waves, too. That theme out of the way, let's get into our rips and picks. And I got some two really good picks here that are more funny. One, they call the Venetians vegans, which I kept laughing every time I heard it, That especially when someone was using it in a negative connotation. It was like. <laughs> um, and then the other one is uh, where I was looking at the cast list. And it said Adolf Hitler himself and i just pictured a tv show like you know jody foster as l.e.r arrowy matthew mcconaughey as pastor mcconaughey adolf hitler as himself <laughs> yeah which that, that, not too many I, films have to put that one into their credits i know right why did you give him credit exactly it's like what are you paying his estate <laughs> <laughs> I think aside public domain aside, I don't think anyone's gonna 
like sue you to pay the estate. I think if they try, most people are going to go, oh, Hitler family. You did. Don't poke your head up. I, I Go, feel like even if you shame. wanted to make the publishing rights from his from his novel, um, his his uh, pile of blithering gibberish, you wouldn't want to admit that you were his descendant. Who wants to go admit to that? <laughs> exactly. Who wants to jump up? Yeah. Uh, well, unless you are. I, 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 I well, believe they're I mean, all they're all there relatives, but I believe they've all changed their names. So yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. No one wants I'm to. You're sure. not just going to sit around. Like, could you imagine that? You're going on a date or something, and you're, you're first, you know, you get to that point where you start telling family history, and you go through the photo album, and there's great-grandpa Adolf. <laughs> yeah. You go, just disregard that one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, have I, a great-grandpa. I'm keeping, it, I'm keeping it for grandma, okay? You know what? Let's just put this, show, let's just put this album away. Yeah, anyway. I'm sorry. It'd be great-uncle. It'd be great, Uncle, but whatever. Well, well, it, no, actually, it'd be what? Why is your family from Argentina? <laughs> exactly. So, how'd you come to Argentina? Oh, it's a it's a boring story. You don't want to hear about that. Uh, yeah. uh, involved a submarine. <laughs> that you know, one of my picks. That is one of my picks, though. Could you imagine the absolute panic if the first message alien sent back to us oh, was no, an image yes. of him? Yes. Oh my God. That's about reasonable. I... There, they'd be like, "That's a what? Oh, what?" <laughs> It'd be more like, um, "I think we are about to get killed." The first <laughs> message we get back from from outer space is about this guy. Either they yeah. think, we, either they think he's our leader, which is bad, or they figured out what he did, which is bad, or. Yeah, none of this is good. I can't see a good thing out of this. Then you just, they finally get back to it and they go, this was the first thing that we broadcast. So it's what they sent back to us. Which also brings up a very interesting point that sometime in the future, when humanity is going out and colonizing other planets, at some point, that planet will get a broadcast from Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Or some you other species hope... first thing that they see from us. That could be worse. You know You know what? You know what? If I had been there in that movie and they've been like, Oh, it's a speech from Hitler from nineteen thirty six Olympics. Um so what are the odds you guys think they speak German? <laughs> Do you think we're pretty good that they don't know what he's saying? Are <laughs> the odds are in our favor, right? Someone well, tell me the odds are in our favor that they have no idea yes, what he's saying. Yes, we right? all know the universal language of the galaxy is English. <laughs> or, or God forbid, or, or be the guy next to it. Huh, that does suck. Hey, at least it's not Nuremberg try or the Nuremberg rallies, huh? And, oh God, it's the Nuremberg rallies. Uh, yeah. Let's really hope they don't speak German. Yeah, honestly. That might not be quite so bad because we would probably be putting our own spin on it. They, A, probably don't speak the language, and even if they figured out what he's saying, he wasn't really saying anything so bad right there. It then. could be worse. The first broadcast they could come across is uh, reruns of Married with Children, and they just decide to turn the ship around <laughs> and go home. <laughs> well, unless they, unless they saw the Alien episode and found out that Al's socks make great fuel, and we're like, we need to find this Al Bundy guy. Yeah, so many possibilities, though. Again, they show up on Earth, they get off the spaceship, they go, Whoa, Bundy! I greet you in the greeting of your world. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Could be worse. They could have gotten a dispatch from Hitler. So anyway, so those are my first picks right there. I mean, I've given you a rip, which led to our conversation earlier, but those were my picks. Okay. Here's uh, my rip. The aliens sent us schematics to a gyroscope. Yep. To a massive gyroscope. That is going to somehow create a wormhole. Mm-hmm. A, not really how wormholes would work, but okay. Just go with it. Yeah. B, we have gyroscopes, but. And C, what kind of mechan- mechanical and material science did you also send with this? Because I can tell you right now. To create something with that type of size and spinning at that speed, uh, you need some pretty good bearings. And those bearings would have to be a very, very good steel. Oh my that, gosh, it would probably break apart right away. Let me put it this way. The machines I work on sometimes are spinning at you know, a few thousand RPM. And the bearings on those things can be massive. And those things really don't like it if anything goes wrong. And you're now trying to spin this thing in how many axes at what kind of speeds. And then you're going to drop something into it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Your math better be really precise. And I'm sorry, I'm not trusting my life with those types of bearings because they must have sent some material science with it because, uh, A, titanium would shatter, doesn't have the tensile strength. Uh, You might want graphite, but that's really hard to work with. Mm. And maybe steel, but steel also has a certain tensile strength that it can only get to. Oh, Thomas, they did send all of this stuff. There just wasn't enough time to show it in the movie's limited runtime of two Two hours. hours. Yeah, Yeah. Well, I guess that's just one of those. Which was my next rip. It's two hours. This thing goes by so slowly at times where you literally feel like, yes, I am currently feel like I am sitting in Congress in one of these meetings. And watching C-SPAN. Yeah. Well, boring. Yeah, yes. that's true. It's not as bad as 2012, but still. Oh, the pacing, yeah. that's my rip. The pacing is is absolutely god-awful glacial, and somebody should have came in and Hemingwayed this script down to a tight two hours or even hour and 45, because I think the essential story could have been told in an hour and 45. Oh, absolutely. When you literally have multiple shots of her just listening to the... Like, you don't need this long of a shot of holding on her, her listening to this. No. You could have done this in a montage. Hell, you could have spent more time actually showing the relationship and the connection between her and Matthew McConaughey. Yes. The, you Instead of picking and actually doing character development at times, you're holding on shots and doing long things that just do not advance the plot at all. We didn't need any of her as a child. You no. really didn't. None of that is essential to this story. 
No, not at all. I mean, I maybe guess the at the alien very, very wants beginning, take, but otherwise. Yeah. Give me five well, minutes so we understand form. why she takes the form of her dad. But yeah, I, I don't need form. as much as we got. No, it took her form just to make her comfortable to let her know that humanity's on the threshold of joining other species in space. But you're right. We didn't need to establish that much about her dad. No, there's so much wasted that just didn't... It didn't matter. It didn't... It, this was... They're good scenes. They're not bad scenes. But you got a two-and-a-half-hour movie that's as exciting as paint drying. You needed to cut something. Well, I mean... This we're, makes Star Trek the slow-motion picture look like a Michael Bay film. Well, you know, you kind of... I mean, when you make Back to the Future, you can't make everything else perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, mean, but, no. I mean, there's I also mean... a very interesting thing here. That apparently there's multiple species out there with space travel. And apparently as soon as they pick up any broadcast you send out, they immediately send one back telling you you're about to join them. Yeah, you would think there'd be a sifting process, but may- maybe yeah, that's part think, of it, I guess. I would in a think way there that... might be a checking like, oh, wait, maybe these guys aren't. Oh, wait, maybe they, oh, yeah, they did blow themselves up. Well, we'll you see know. more of that next week, just hint, hint. But, we're uh, also going to send yeah. her, we're also going to, we, we know that they're about to join the Intergalactic Federation for a better, you know, lack of a better term. And we're going to send them a message back with a way to make a ship to send one person from their entire planet to meet us, which we'll do in a dreamscape, and send them back to their civilization, not only without any proof that it happened, but contrive the mechanism in such a way that it appeared that she never went anywhere. Well, you know, these are yeah, super what's... advanced species of aliens who are stupid. You're, you're they sending make your, weird it's mistakes. Almost, it's almost like the argument Zemeckis and Sagan is making is that you can only join the intergalactic society when you have learned to act against reason when everything that's, that gives you, you know, that you can measure and test act against it when it says she didn't go anywhere and believe what appears to be a delusion that existed only in her head. It's almost like saying you can only advance to our super high-tech scientific galactic society if you choose to value faith over reason, which is where I ask again, what message was Zemeckis saying in the battle against faith and reason? And I found it interesting that Carl Sagan wrote this script. Well, it blows my mind a bit. I almost go into an old um, Star Trek Jim Kirk computer logic meltdown. It's written by Carl Sagan. It seems to stress science. But at the end, everything seems to say that faith is more valuable than science and reason. Well, the best example. Well, the best example then of your discussion and concept with this is Starship, uh, Starship Troopers. The movie is not saying what the book said. No, not By at all. any stretch. So again, he might have written this, but the filming of it may have completely changed it. 
And That's I don't true. know if this is just a ham-handed way for Zemeckis to make this palatable to both scientists and religious people and saying, look, they're both equally important. Very if, it is, if it, it is, that be. detracts from the end because you didn't pick a side. You I mean, did a whole, I, it, You did a whole film. This is my rip almost. You did a whole film about the interplay and the battle in human society about the primacy of faith or reason. And in the end, you kind of contrived a way to say, only by combining them both and learning to understand the strengths of both can we advance to the intergalactic society that's out there. And you, 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 you copped out and you just said, they both matter. But you didn't really say it. That's a, that's a good point to make. I think... Um... I said that like I'm really disappointed and hurt by the movie, though, didn't I? That's a weird inflection. I yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying but... to stay quiet so I don't wake up Sarah. And that means well... that I'm, I'm changing my speech patterns where I would be yelling or clearly conveying where I think something is I'm, about it. I'm with you. So well, yeah. I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. You would have heard me yell about Ken Ham if I weren't. Yeah. Doing well, uh, this, we weren't recording this so late, which gets stop, to an it, stop breaking the fourth wall, guys. We're sorry it for all of the sickies. Sorry, because I was just about to mention it is time to uh, do any final little nitpicks before we rate this thing. Um, I'll give a nice little bonus. The effects, especially considering the time, were good when she goes through the wormhole. Yeah, I, I was going to say some of the effects and some of the shots look really good and well well done and some of it is very accurate with the science at times other times mm-hmm. it's playing pretty loose but you kind of just accept it uh-huh i mean you're absolutely right this the effects were well done and some of them weren't so great some were but again you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt because again the time period it was at it's it was very good for its time period for sure Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that brings us to um all right so i think that brings us to the very end here um let's see how many seti satellites do we want to give this thing Ooh, i'm interested in seeing what scott says especially considering you sounded so disappointed i'll kick it (laughs) off i'll kick it off um I'm going to give this an 8.75. It's a very good movie. It it tackles a subject that most writers don't want to directly tackle, and that is uh, should we value faith or should we value reason? I think ultimately the movie comes down surprisingly on the side of faith. Um, and I think Zemeckis says that in the end when he says what, what uh, you know I found interesting was it recorded about 18 hours worth of static. And mm-hmm. um, Dr. Arroway gets converted from someone who has no place in her life for faith into someone who now understands why people who believe in faith believe in it so strong, or not believe in faith, but people who have faith um, can have that belief so strongly impact their life. I also, though, believe that ultimately there's a bit of a cop-out here because it's a mishmash, and I don't like the fact that the aliens would purposely send us a message that can't be verified. So <laughs> um it makes no sense and it loses it really does lose some points for that and it loses some points for the pacing 
and what I think is a, a movie that is a lot longer than it needs to be. And it's a hard movie to watch and rewatch because you have to sift through a lot of boring to get to the valuable in this film. But it's still there, and that's why I can't rate it any lower than in, than an eight and three quarters. It's an excellent film. I see why it holds up. I see why it's still considered a classic and on the short list of science fiction films that you need to watch. Um, and I think people will be watching this one 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I think um, it's a testament to Zemeckis, and it's a testament to Carl Sagan as a scientist's ability to write. Um, overall, it's a, it's a wonderful film that's well-acted and well-directed, um, there's just a couple things about it I don't like, but then again, you're making a movie for mass consumption, so you probably got to throw those little open-ended things in there so that the people who are on the side of faith and on reason can each believe that the movie was speaking to them. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's an interesting, um, uh, point, Scott, about it taking so long and the way that can actually work against it, but yeah. Okay. I'll go next here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a seven. It, it's not. It's not terrible. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It drags out at times. It is painful at times how slow it's going. And it does have some good messages and it has some interesting concepts, but it seems to not want to take a stand at times. And I don't want my movies to hit me over the head with its message. I don't. But I'd like it to at least put its foot down on one side of the line. seems to have been straddling the line too much. And then there are moments in this which just seem stupid to me. I mean, even NASA apparently had problems with the film trying to hand out suicide pills. Because <laughs> you can just yeah. shut the oxygen off and kill yourself if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Cyanide pills make no sense to give to astronauts when you literally could kill yourself in a million other ways. But <laughs> it, it, I I can't say I hate this film. I just it's not a film I want to watch again. I get that. It's not a film I will be watching again because of the length. Well, what's your rating? I'll give it about a nine. Um, one for the length. I mean, it gets all its bonuses because it does what science fiction should do. Predict the future and cause us to discuss matters of ethics, science, and even faith. Uh, but it loses a point for the length, and still, I'm just really stuck and hung up on that she doesn't get selected because she doesn't believe in God. It's like, this wouldn't happen. Just from an United States point of view, that would be a violation of her civil rights. She would be denied a job because of her religious belief or lack thereof. Um, and I know it was an international panel, but uh, still, I'm just using the example to say that would be a violation of her civil rights, even in the 90s, because that's based on the 1964 Act. So um, that was a moment that took a lot out of me, and I had to get over it because I kept thinking that wouldn't happen. They wouldn't just all of a sudden pull the rug out from under her and go, well, you were absolutely perfect in every single way except for this God thing. 
and this guy, Pastor So-and-so, wrote a book. So we're going to go with him. It just doesn't make sense. And clearly, too, when you you as the viewer know why he did that, because he didn't want her to go. He was in love with her. And see, that would have been more interesting if she, if he had said, you know, she's sleeping with me and is therefore ethically compromised. That might have been one that's tougher to deal with, but at least I could say, all right, that's a reason. Um, but the God thing, no, wouldn't do it for me. Anyway, so uh, next week we'll be finishing up the month with another uh, aliens meeting us, but this time with a bit of a warning. So as done, done, done. As Thomas kind of accidentally led us into, but. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out ravinglunaticmedia.com for not just this show, but last week on the Epic Zodiac Task Force, we had our special holiday episode, Valentine's Day episode, Eros. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun listening to, as always. We also have the Quesitorium, which is still coming out with some good episodes. And be looking out for Layla's uh, Case of the Chills. There'll be another season of that soon. Also, um, let's see. Is there something else I wanted to mention? There was something else I wanted to mention, and I forgot it. Well, I think we can blame the late hour for that. Uh, probably. So, otherwise, uh, if you, what did you think of this movie? Or any other comments you want to give us, send them over to www.ragemasterhatespants.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. Ragemaster, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. Have a good night, sleep. I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is our uh, sci-fi melody. Dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. <laughs>